nice to see all of you uh, today, your smiling faces here. In early October, uh, I've been thinking this week a lot about the fact that it's not just October. We're like into October now, and I don't, especially with like all the nice weather this weekend, uh, I kept having to like remind myself that we're in October. Oh. And I was thinking about that because uh, we have a number of, oh, will you grab me the handheld maybe? These mics are sometimes tricky. <laughs> Thanks, Todd. He has seven toes and he runs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hold on a second. Oh. Hello. Oh. Just making sure you're awake. Uh, sorry about that. Well, I'm kind of secretly relieved because... I feel like I wrestle with this with my ears sometimes. And I feel a little like Britney Spears sometimes when I wear it too. Those old music videos where she's got like the, the microphone, you know, or Garth Brooks, or if you're into that. Okay, well, <laughs> this morning uh, we're talking about a, a passage in Scripture that is a very celebrated passage. It's the triumphal entry. That was going to be the tie-in with October, that usually early October isn't a time you think about celebrating uh, in the life of sort of like the church calendar. You're getting ready for that. Uh, I know being like in worship ministry, there's a lot of getting ready right now because things like Christmas Eve are coming up or Thanksgiving, that's coming up. Uh, and, and it's a time when, you know, people are getting more busy and they're settling into their busy schedules. But there's also stuff like, you know, like choir that begins uh, again, and there's, you know, the, the carols that come out. You know, every year our church celebrates Thanksgiving by coming together and, and worshiping the night before. Uh, and, you know, if you've never been to one of those services, it's just, it's such a wonderful time to worship and to celebrate the Lord, to celebrate the kingdom, to celebrate uh, the new life that's in Christ. But a lot of times when we think about, like, October, uh, I just don't think about it as much um, just depending on how you feel about, you know, um, Halloween, you know, or harvest parties, or if you guys ever did uh, trunk or, or treats, did you guys ever do uh, that type of thing where, you know, you come together, and, and I don't know if anybody, you know, would ever do that, but our kids love to trick or treat. Uh, there's a store we go to sometimes that has uh, Halloween decorations up, and they've just gotten so scary this year. You know, I went and, and saw the decorations with my kids, and um, <laughs> and one of them actually, it was like battery-powered, and it was this ghoul-looking thing, and uh, you know, it, uh, I wasn't anticipating his arm like swinging out like that, uh, but it did, and, and I jumped and yelped, and, uh, and then my kids were way scared, and um, you know, but uh, I get excited for I get excited for the candy uh, because I have three kids and they are like little candy gatherers in October and that becomes something very exciting too uh, for me. As a matter of fact, sometimes I think about having more kids just to get more candy in October. It gets cheap in October and it gets uh, just delicious in October and, um, and my kids are really good at getting it in October too. Um, but a lot of times, you know, we don't think about um, 
you know, again, like big church celebration in early October. And that's what might be a little weird about today. Today is all about the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Now, every year we celebrate this uh, on a day called Palm Sunday. And it really represents uh, the, the week where everything kind of comes to a, a climax in uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus. It's it's the week of, of the cross and the crucifixion and the the death and the resurrection, and we celebrate that on Easter Sunday. And so uh, today in October, uh, uh, as we follow John's uh, picture of Jesus and we follow John's account, uh, this is where we're at today. And uh, and so today we're going to talk about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem, riding a donkey, and why it was so triumphant, why it was so perfectly triumphant, why it is that thousands of years later, we still celebrate it and make a huge deal out of it every year. And this this time, you know, kind of looking through it uh, for this weekend, uh, I've been very reminded that, you know, it's not just a great symbol and a great picture of Jesus, but there is a very direct invitation for you and for me today to follow after the king. So that's how we're going to spend our time this morning, uh, talking about the triumphal entry, talking about um, our Lord's uh, arrival. Um, and so let's, uh, let's pray, and then we'll dive in this morning. Well, Lord, uh, we love you, and it is so good to be with your people and to sing your songs. Lord, to take our eyes off from this world for a little bit and to put them on you. And uh, we pray that you would help us with that this morning, God, that we would, uh, that the eyes of our hearts would just be open, and, and we would see you, and we would hear your voice. And Lord, as we talk about a very special day in the history of the world, and in a very special day in the life of the church, uh, Father, I pray that you would, uh, that you would allow us to hear your voice, and to, to see your clear calling that we would be those who would come and follow you, Lord. Bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, uh, today is about the arrival of Jesus as the king, and one of the things that comes out in this story is that it's absolutely perfect. Everything kind of comes together, and the timing uh, couldn't be better for the arrival of the king into Jerusalem. Uh, and, and that's kind of where the story starts out. Uh, so the next day, there's a large crowd that has come to the feast They've heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So John has talked about a story that we've talked about over uh, previous weeks, and that was the raising of Lazarus. And we'll see again in a little bit that that had created such a frenzy. Uh, what happened was people were there and witnessed and saw, and just like you would be if you saw a dead guy <laughs> come out of a, a tomb, raise up from the dead, start talking and, and walking, uh, man, can you imagine the, the type of coverage that would get today? I mean, maybe today we wouldn't even believe it because there's so, so much like spam stories coming out all the time of crazy things. Uh, but, but word began to travel, and this crowd that saw this had begun to tell people. And, uh, of course, this was the time of Passover. And so everyone was coming together uh, to, to celebrate, uh, to feast, and, and to, to be together. 
in Jerusalem. And so uh, people are hearing about Jesus. They're hearing about this one. They say, maybe he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the king. Maybe he's finally coming. And so a lot of commentators talk about like there's a little bit of messianic fervor going on, that they're eagerly anticipating a king who's going to come and restore Israel to its former glory. It's going to be the, the, the king of David who's going to come, and, and he's going to come and he's going to take care of Rome. Uh, they're not going to be under the thumb of Rome anymore. And so there's a large crowd and they're waiting, and they're excited. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a historian named Josephus that, uh, that estimates there being in a, not this year, I believe, but uh, some years close to it, like, you know, something like 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. And historians are like, no, no way. But maybe a hundred or a couple hundred thousand people. I mean, a huge gathering of people. And, and so, so it's, it's a very exciting time. Something is, is happening. And this was a very special time. And, and as Jesus comes, they, they take branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him crying, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Israel was not supposed to have a king uh, in this day. That was kind of bad news. The Pharisees were pretty worried about that. And so, uh, and so we see that, um, that everybody is, is kind of going crazy, and they come to meet Jesus, and they're, they're waving these palm branches around. They're yelling, Hosanna, which means save us, save us now. And they're yelling, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was a very famous psalm, and it was sung during, uh, during popular feasts like tabernacles and dedication and Passover. It's uh, from Psalm 118 in your Bibles. And uh, there's a number of really cool verses in Psalm 118, uh, but it expressed thanksgiving for God's deliverance of his people. Uh, it expressed a, a reliance on him. Some people think maybe uh, it was uh, really celebrated around the time of like the reconstruction of, of the walls or, or the rebuilding of the temple or something like that. Uh, and uh, But specifically, verses 25 and 26 of Psalm 118, uh, at this day, were sort of interpreted that somebody was going to come again and help Israel again. Uh, and so they cry out, Hosanna, God, save us. And, uh, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. So what's revealed is who they think Jesus is. What's revealed is what they're anticipating from Jesus and what they're expecting of Jesus. Uh, here's uh, the psalm. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. And notice there's nothing about the king of Israel here. That's something that's added. It just shows what they're thinking. It just shows what their minds are really thinking about as they look at, at Jesus. And... Uh, and the, the palm branches, too, were a, a very large symbol of, of sort of national pride. Uh, and going back to the uh, Maccabean uh, Revolution, uh, you know, it, they would sometimes celebrate uh, kings and, and um, monumentous occasions. And so it's, it's clear that something is going on. There's a king that's coming to uh, Jerusalem. And what you see is Jesus 
accepts what they're saying. And when he enters into Jerusalem, it is as a king. He enters on a donkey, which was uh, peaceful, but it was also uh, like entering, uh, one person said, is like on a Mercedes Benz, right? It was, it was fancy. It was something kingly uh, to do. So Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it just as it's written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. So John is pointing out here that this was planned long ago. Jesus is fulfilling a prophecy, and Jesus knows he's fulfilling a prophecy. But it wasn't quite the prophecy that the the people wanted, because what they wanted was a king who would come and again start punching soldiers in the throat and that type of thing, you know? Somebody who would come and start building an army, somebody who would come and begin a movement, the type of movement that's tangible and that you can follow and really get behind, uh, that would restore a a national pride and and make Israel uh, proud again. And so, uh, and, and you notice that uh, in, it says that your king is coming. And, and if you look at the account in Zechariah chapter 9, what you find is that he's a king of peace. He disarms uh, Israel. Uh, and, and that his kingdom, it spreads from sea to sea. Uh, so he is a king who's coming. He is the king even that they're waiting for. But again, uh, and as we've seen so often, the irony in John is that they get it, but they don't get it at all. Jesus has come peacefully. He's come to inaugurate the, the kingdom of God, but, but they don't see that. Uh, and and uh, even the disciples, that's the next verse, that his disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things had been written about him and had been done to him, referring about these palm branches and uh, these shouts of praise and and this royal welcome. Um, And so, uh, but the disciples, you know, I just imagine what would have they been thinking at this moment, you know, And, and what was everybody thinking during this moment? And what, what John makes clear is that later on, as their eyes are opened, as Jesus rises from the dead, uh, which uh, it, it changes the way that they're thinking about things. You know, later the, the Spirit was to come, and he would guide in all truth, and, and their eyes are open, and they begin to understand the Scriptures from beginning uh, to end. And, but in this day, John says... Uh, They didn't understand these things. It reminds me of a a story way back in the beginning of John when Jesus talks about the temple being destroyed and raising, and and just nobody understands what he's talking about until later. Uh, And so, uh, so he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He does this as a peaceful king to a people who were starving for real spirituality. They were hurting uh, ethnically. But God was doing such, uh, something much bigger than they realized. They saw uh, the time of the kingdom for Rome to be kicked out, for their fortress to be fortified, their pride restored. But the father saw the glorification of his son, Jesus. He saw rescue and peace for his people who were scattered like sheep. With the events of Lazarus, the intolerance of the Pharisees, and the things like that, the timing was perfect. Something was coming together. God uses even the evil for good things. Uh, sometimes uh, the, the depths of the things he does 
are lost on us at first, and we understand later, kind of like uh, the disciples. And, you know, when, one of the things when we look at the triumphal entry is you just see perfect timing. And a lot of you have experienced God's perfect timing in your lives, too. You've experienced how sometimes you don't understand what's going on, but God's working things together for the good. He's doing something that, if you're lucky, you understand later in your life, or maybe you begin to see the fullness of what God was doing. It reminds me of like years ago uh, when I graduated college and I, I took uh, my first uh, youth pastor position, and it was in a little town, and it was in a little church in a little town. And I don't know if you know you have much experience with a little church in a little town, but uh, I grew up in Portland, <laughs> and so I, I didn't have much experience with that type of thing. And so I didn't really know what I was agreeing to, when I was like, yeah, I'll come yeah, uh, be a youth pastor to a church with like, you know, five teenagers in it. And, you know, yeah, I'll come jump in and get involved. One of the things that I learned was living in a smaller town is just different than living in a, a big town like Portland. Uh, and not just that, but living in a small uh, church in a small town. You know, oftentimes in a context like that, people have known each other their whole lives. You know, the kids that grew up in that church grew up together. Their families uh, all know, knew each other intimately. And so I was very new. And, you know, I'll tell you something about that first year is that it was a very lonely year for me. Uh, there was so much change, and uh, it was really my first time being far away from home. And, and of course, you know, it's kind of a weird thing to, to just transition so many uh, major things like that. And, and I had so many questions for the Lord that first year. I felt so lonely, and uh, that first year was so confusing. Uh, getting momentum in ministry was slow, and I didn't understand it. I never thought I would meet my wife in that church. I never thought that uh, the Lord would awaken such a love for his word, such a hunger in that place. It, it would have never dawned on me that God would use something like that. But that's what he does. That's how he is. That's how his kingdom is. He does things that we just sometimes completely miss at first. And later we look back and we go, oh, God was working and God was doing something, um, something big. And so we see this type of thing, this, this perfect timing. We see it in our lives all the time. We see it in our church all the time. And the Bible is full of stories at just the right time. <laughs> okay, uh, secondly is the perfect setting. This is just another thing so perfect about the triumphal entry is that uh, it's just the right place. Uh, Jesus, the King, the Lord, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the bread of life, the Son of Man, uh, he's entered and Everybody is watching him, though they don't seem to understand exactly what's going on or exactly the depth of who he really is. Look, there's the crowd. Uh, the crowd that has been with him as uh, he called Lazarus out of the tomb. This is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, and he raised him from the dead. They continued to bear witness. So one group of people here is just the crowd, right? And uh, not just the pilgrims that have come to celebrate the feast. There's just also these people that are, are following and they're looking and they're searching. And Jesus, 
he is just so irresistible. He's always drawing people to himself. I don't know. I know a lot of people are like reading through the Bible this year. And, and you know, going through the Gospels, it's amazing to me just the, the, the irresistibleness of Jesus. People just were so, they were so drawn to him. They were so curious about him. So there's the crowd. And, and now they've heard that Jesus has raised somebody from the dead. And, and so everybody is looking for him. So there's the crowd that's there. And uh, as they've continued to bear witness, things have begun to circulate. And we'll see how wide that is in a moment. So the Pharisees, they're also there. And they're always so positive uh, in the gospel accounts. And they said to one another, ironically, that you see that we're gaining nothing. Uh, Look, the whole world has gone after him. Of course, it's a little bit of an exaggeration. They just see the excitement around Jesus. They, they see, you know, the other Gospels kind of fill in the stories that they're, they're laying down their coats in front of Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, and so the Pharisees are watching this in horror. They're watching this thinking, oh, oh no, the whole world's going after him. It's the type of thing you do when you're like, I always get the short end of the stick. You know, they're just, they're, they're, in, and they're in utter terror. And of course, I think there's a little bit of irony here that Jesus has come uh, because, because God loves the world. <laughs> and, and we see that uh, people uh, are drawn to Jesus. So there's the Pharisees. And he says, now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some of the Greeks. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. That's kind of worded weird there. It's like, well, what was the commotion all about? But there's a lot of things here that I think aren't just completely filled in for us. Like, like who are the Greeks? You know, we'll see in a minute, he never really even answers their request directly. Uh, And so uh, what's interesting, though, is that there are Greeks. Now, that would have been somewhat common because there were God-fearers that would would go to celebrate Passover. It drew people. Thousands and thousands of people would go. But they want to see Jesus. They're curious about Jesus. They don't want to just see his face. They don't want to just get a closer look at him. They want to know about him. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a, a very uh, interesting thing to be filled in here, that there are those who are, are not Jews. And, and there's, you know, thoughts about who they are. Are they, you know, ethnically Greek? Or are they Greek-speaking Jews? Or where exactly, you know, would they be from? But, um, but they're there. And they, they want to see Jesus. And so I think what we get a picture of is that there's all kinds of people here today. And they are seeing this event they are curious about Jesus. They're thinking things about Jesus. And what we begin to realize is that this isn't just about celebrating Passover. This is all about Jesus, the Passover lamb. This is all about him. And, and it reminds me that, that really we're always living in his setting. You know, one of the things you see in the gospel again and again is that Jesus is, is really that the Lord is in charge the whole time. Even when things are done to him, even when things happen uh, to him, uh, he's always working things together uh, for the good. So there's all kinds of, of people here, and they're, they're fixated on Jesus today. They're looking at Jesus today. I would imagine that there would be Romans there, centurions there, maybe thinking it's kind of cute that there's somebody that they're calling a king going in on a donkey. 
Imagine the things that people would say um, later. There's a national audience, and we see that people are seeking Jesus. And it reminds me in our lives, too, today, that there's people all around us that are seeking Jesus. I think it's very interesting that Jesus is so interesting. And there's people today that just want to know about him. Maybe it's that the Father is drawing them to himself. Maybe it's that there's a lot of interesting history that surrounds Jesus. There's millions of conspiracy theories. But isn't it interesting that Jesus is just fascinating? There's just something about him that draws people to him. And I think we see that here, and we see that the message of the kingdom is going out. Something is happening, and it's perfect, and it's unstoppable. And it's because he's a perfect king. It's the third thing that's just perfect about the triumphal entry is that it's perfect because he is perfect, because he is on the throne. And so Jesus, what we see is what he's thinking. And what we see is his perspective on this event. And what he says is he answers them that the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And uh, this, of course, is a very loaded uh, verse. If you've been in John, um, you know, for one thing, here's the hour. It's here. And we've talked about this before where he says, my hour has not yet come. They've tried to make him king before and he's slipped away. <laughs> but now he says the hour's here. It's come. It's at hand. And there's a lot of interesting verses around the idea of the hour, the Son of Man, or um, uh, 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 events around that, the hour. Uh, another thing we see, though, is that uh, he, it's the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And we've seen this um, again, that, that Jesus is the Son of Man. It's, it's how he refers uh, to himself often. Um, and so uh, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be lifted up. And of course, we see that the hour is really, it's about his suffering and his dying and his rising. It's, it's where the, the mission uh, of Christ really climaxes in the gospel. It's the hour, and it's now here. And the Son of Man is to be glorified. And the Son of Man, uh, you know, we see that uh, he ascends and descends, that he'll be lifted up like a snake in the wilderness. He has the authority to judge. The Son of Man has the ability to give bread of life. He is the bread of life. The Son of Man will be lifted up be glorified. And so uh, one person says it this way, much smarter than me, that the Son of Man is Jesus's way of referring to himself, especially in connection with his mission. And so, uh, and, and so likely, uh, you know, people point out that maybe they would have been hearing uh, back to Daniel's vision about the Son of Man. And, and look at that really quick. It's, it's interesting. This is from Daniel. Uh, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, uh, with the cloud of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. So there's this idea of the ancient of days and the son of man being presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not 
pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man uh, is to be glorified. And we see uh, in the gospel that Jesus is just glorious. He has glory with the Father before the foundations of the world were, were even laid. Uh, he's glorified supremely. Uh, and, and John says we've seen his glory. And, and in his mission, it was to be exalted on the cross. It was to be lifted up on the cross. And he returns to the Father in glory too. So he is glorious, but now there's this central thing around his glory. And it's interesting that, uh, you know, he doesn't come in like a king on a war horse. He doesn't come in on a golden throne. He came in on a donkey, and, and that represented peace. He came in with peace towards his people. It, it was perfect. Uh, and, uh, and so he goes on, and, and he talks more about what this is like. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. And so, you know, it's interesting that Jesus gives a little parable uh, in this context. It's what he's thinking about during this time, that he hasn't come to, to be worshipped right now. He hasn't come to start the kingdom in the way they're thinking about it now, but he's come to give his life. He's come to serve. He, he's the suffering servant. And, and here's the picture, that, that if the seed just stays by itself and it's a seed and it doesn't go into the ground, then nothing happens. But if the seed falls into the earth, and if the seed dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there's something that's going to happen as Jesus goes into the ground. And then he begins to tell us more about this. There's an invite here. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Like, don't try to stay a seed. Don't try to, to not follow Jesus. Don't try to build your kingdom here. Don't try to, to pursue your, your treasures in, uh, in, in your life here. It, it, it won't last. It's whoever hates his life. And of course, Jesus isn't saying that you should hate your life like in some sad way where you just don't like yourself very much and you're, you're not very nice to yourself. It's in comparison to something that is so much better, though. Uh, whoever hates his life, and that's a comparison, in this world will keep it for eternal life. It's crazy. It's like, you know, you can almost kind of see Jesus uh, walking, uh, you know, on the donkey through the crowd, and it's, it's like he looks at us and says, follow me. It's like he looks at us and says, you know, I'm about to show you what kind of king I really am, what kind of kingdom this really is. It reminds me that this is the type of thinking, too, that, that really caught on. This is what the apostles really model in their lives, too. For instance, in Philippians, Paul says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is... Uh, for that is far better. And, and I love that picture of Paul, uh, you know, of course, in, in custody, and he's thinking about the Philippians, and he wants to be with them. And, but what does he say? If, if I'm going to stay here in the world, if I'm going to stay here uh, on this side of eternity, it means fruitful labor. 
It means uh, that, that Jesus is living in me, and, and I'm continuing to bear his fruit. I'm continuing to do the work of the kingdom. And one day, when I die, whenever that might be, if that's soon or if that's later, I'm going to be with him. Uh, and, and Jesus promises that we'll be with him one day. And that changes how we begin to see life now. It changes how we begin to see the kingdom on this side. It's an already and not yet type of kingdom. And so Jesus, kind of going back to the, the parable here, and, and kind of back to what John is saying about the triumphal entry, continues to explain, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. You know, these verses are very close to other things Jesus says in the church. Hello? Uh, they're very close to the, <laughs> uh, uh, the things that he says um, in, in many other places. But, uh, but he invites us here to, to follow him and to not live our, our lives, like uh, to not build up our treasures here. Uh, in the world, and, and to not seek to save our life in the world, but, but to, to follow him instead. And look, as we follow him, he says, where I am, there will my servant also be, that we'll be with him uh, forever, that we'll be with him. And then he says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And, uh, and I, I think there's, uh, that would have been much bigger than maybe anybody was thinking about in that day, that, that when we give our lives to Christ and we follow Christ and we spend our lives serving Christ, that we're with him. And one day that, uh, that there's honor from the Father. We, we spend uh, eternity in glory with him. And so, uh, but he's the perfect king, and he's come to make that possible. He's come to, uh, uh, to the world, his, his mission to, uh, to, to suffer and to die, that uh, his perfect and innocent life um, would pay our ransom on that cross. And, and Jesus uh, is that type of king. Uh, he's that type of leader. But there's more, that he comes to, to do that for us so that we can have new life with, with God, that we can have peace with God, but he invites us to follow him in it too. And so, uh, as we think about following and serving, we think about the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, but not as the king who's going to immediately rid Rome, uh, but as the king who's going to serve the people, as the king who's coming to die for his people. Uh, and, and then tells us to follow him. Uh, what is it? actually mean for us. And so I've been thinking about living as a follower, living uh, in uh, following that kind of king. And, and I think there's just a few things that we can glean, even just from this passage today. The first thing is this, that we could be those who would live in his timing, not ours. And his timing is hard because sometimes it involves waiting. Uh, it involves trials and tribulations. It involves being faithful enduring to the end. 
Uh, that's the type of language used for following the Lord in, um, in Scripture. But a lot of times we just think about, you know, if, if I pray and if I read my Bible, uh, shouldn't I get a raise and shouldn't I get sick less often and shouldn't things begin to work out in my favor? There are entire branches of, um, of the church that, that teach this type of thing, like the prosperity gospel. You know, the, the idea is that, uh, you know, you have faith and you just get the blessings of, of God, but I wish somebody would have, you know, told that to the apostles. They, they give up their life uh, for the Lord, and, and they live in his timing. They eagerly await him to, to come back, where we see him in Revelation on a horse, not a donkey. But uh, he's the lamb, and we follow him. And he's often, as we follow him, as we take steps after Jesus, as, as he is our king right now, he's often producing something in us that's better than anything that would come if we just got what we wanted in our timing. It makes me think about, like, my kids right now. Uh, you know, it's like, <laughs> have you ever got the hankering to kind of want something, but you don't even know what you want? Well, Amazon now, it, they send out this catalog, uh, right? And it's, it's for kids, but it's really for their parents because uh, it's just full of, like, toys. And we used to get something like that when I was growing up. And uh, I don't know how, because I did not teach my kids this, but they've learned the art of circling the whole page. You know what I mean? There's, like, there's so many things in there. And, uh, and then they, like, want to have, like, really good talks about the things that they have found in there. But they just, you know, they, they really have no idea what they want, and they don't really know what they need, and, uh, and a lot of times as we're living in his timing, and we're waiting for him, and, and we want the things that, that he says are good for us. We want the, the things in, in our lives, we want him to do something good in us, to make us more like him. We begin to say, see things differently, and, and it, gives us, uh, it gives us the ability to wait and to have strength and to endure and to keep our eyes fixed on him. So we see that in this story, that if people would have got what they wanted in that day, uh, you know, uh, maybe we wouldn't be here today like this. Uh, secondly, that we would abide in his setting. It's the perfect setting in this story. God has a way of just bringing things together at the right time. But so often, uh, it's more tempting to kind of live in our setting, like, like our life is a, a movie and we're the main character in our movie. But, you know, the, the more we see that Jesus is the main character in our life, that, that our lives are really all about his glory and bringing him glory and, and the ways he's just using us in the kingdom, the way he's using us uh, in his life, that's where things get exciting. That's where things get good. That's where we begin to grow uh, in faith a bit. And so maybe this would look like different things. And instead of feeling hemmed in or, or trapped in your circumstances, you realize that you're placed because God has his hand on your life and he's using you. He's working in you. He's developing things in you. And so, so wherever you are, God's still in control. Wherever you are is all about him. Instead of helplessness, you realize that you have the guidance of the helper. Instead of silence, you find guidance. Instead of weakness, you find strength. Instead of sickness, you find that there's actually strength and comfort. It's like one of those things when people go through really awful things, but they're people of faith, and they begin to talk about the peace that they have. A very real, tangible peace that just doesn't happen uh, without him. Uh, we abide in his setting. We see things his way. Instead of death, there's life. Instead of a nation, there's a kingdom. Maybe even instead of a bank account, there's a ministry fund. You know, our lives just become all about him. 
our lives become just being a character in his story, in his setting. You know, everybody in this story from uh, John 12 had been placed there that day. They had been brought there uh, today. They were seeing something really marvelous, more marvelous than they even knew. And I think that's true for us today, too, that he's guiding us and he's bringing us through things. But a perspective uh, really begins to matter. Uh, and one more thing about his setting is you just see that there's people in the story that want to know Jesus. They just want to, to know him more. Maybe they're being drawn. Uh, maybe they're just curious. But he's fascinating. And I can't help but think that there's people in our lives too. I know there's people in our lives because I hear about uh, many conversations and many ways that God is working in your life and people's lives around you. Uh, and, and he wants to use us too. So we're supposed to be uh, ready to give an account. We're supposed to be ready to talk about him and show him. And, you know, I, I hear about this sometimes even from people who very, feel very isolated. Uh, you know, and they begin to pray, Lord, you know, I'd love to talk to somebody about you. I'd love to share uh, about your love with somebody. You know, that is a prayer that God answers. A lot of times those people end up in really random, cool uh, conversations that uh, they could have never um, concocted by themselves. One last thing is this, that we would be those who would dwell on his life and focus on his life and not ours. You know, to follow something, you have to keep your eyes on it a little bit. Uh, and so often is our eyes, we have this thing called flesh, and it just goes inward. Uh, but Jesus, in this uh, parable, you know, he tells us that if we want to serve him, we need to follow him. We need to keep our eyes fixed on him. I've been thinking about this a little bit that, you know, when I think about following him, I often think about loving God and loving other people. You know, some of the very basics, I've been listening to this uh, podcast on uh, the book of Revelation. It was talking about uh, uh, the church at Ephesus and, you know, they're really commended for being this, you know, large church and they're doing a lot of things well. But uh, then he talks about them as kind of have loving, lost their uh, first love. And he says, uh, repent and return and do the things that you did at first. You know, there's this idea for, for the, the people in Ephesus that, uh, and there's this idea, maybe they were like the second generation of, of people, and so they had inherited the busy life of a Christian, but something in their heart was just missing. And he says to return to the things that you did before, and there's something about when we spend time in Scripture, there's something about when we spend time on our knees in prayer that things that we think about begin to change the ways we begin to see the things around us begin to change, um, and we find ourselves being drawn in. Uh, and it just reminds me, I mean, he's the type of king that we can know. You know, that wall of hostility has been torn down, and, and we can know him and have access to him today. A, a second way to think about really dwelling on his life and keeping our eyes fixed on him is to love others. You know, there's a, a parallel passage to everything we're talking about today in uh, Philippians 2. It's a very famous passage. If you've been at Gateway more than like three weeks, you've heard it. And it goes something like this, that uh, though Jesus, though he was found in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in a human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. And it goes on. It's a very famous doxology in in Philippians. Uh, It's been used widely in church history, and and it's a very, very good picture as we look at Jesus' life and how he was the suffering servant and how he's been exalted and given the name that is above every name. And one day every knee will bow. Interestingly, though, if when you go to Philippians 2, it's used as kind of an example. <laughs> an example to talk about us uh, and how our relationships are to look with one another. It's about overflow. Look, uh, it's, this is uh, Philippians 2, 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, Right? And then, you know, who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so, uh, so there's this idea of following Jesus and keeping our eyes on him. And a great litmus test of following Jesus is how our relationships look in our everyday life. It reflects where our gaze is. It reflects what we're thinking about. That's the type of kingdom that Jesus had come to inaugurate that day. It's, it's a kingdom of priests, and it's a kingdom of people filled with his spirit who love him and love one another. And it's what's so perfect about the triumphal entry. Uh, let me pray for us, and I think we're going to close our time in worship today. Well, Lord Jesus, uh, you, are, you are so wonderful. Lord, you... You are the perfect king. And Lord, today um, we're just reminded that um, sometimes there's more to the story than we could even imagine. Uh, But Lord, that you've brought us in. And today as we think about the story, um, you know, I, I think we just think about how wonderful you are and the gift that you've given to us, but also your call here to to follow you. And Lord, this week, uh, that's my prayer for us, that we would be people who would follow you. Uh, we would be people that would fix our eyes on you. Uh, and Lord, that you would give us clear vision to take steps of faith forward uh, in following you this week. Uh, Lord, we love you, and, and, and we want to love you, and we want to love one another. And This week, I pray that you would give us uh, a week full of um, uh, full of living for you and just full of following you. Give us the strength to do that this week. And in your name we pray, amen. <laughs>